The following podcast represents the opinions of the host and is for educational purposes. These are not accusations, and everybody is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This afternoon, my office filed formal charges against Christopher Lee Watts. The charges that we filed are as follows. Three counts of murder in the first degree after deliberation. One count naming Shanann Watts. One count naming Bella. One count naming Celeste. Each of those is a class one felony. We filed one count of unlawful tampering, excuse me, unlawful termination of a pregnancy in the first degree, which is a class two felony as a result of Shanann being pregnant at the time of her death. We filed three counts of tampering with a deceased human body, each of which is a class three felony, each of which, each of which count obviously names Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. It was a combined victim. effort in serving justice today. In the names of Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and Nico. Today I am proud of the determination that was put forth by all those who worked with us on putting this man away. His deplorable actions were fought back vigorously by honest police work coupled with the goodwill of caring and loving people. But most importantly, however, I want to send our thoughts and prayers to Frank, Sandy, Frankie Jr., and the entire Rissick family. I don't know if you will ever receive closure on this horrific act of evil. I just pray that our efforts have brought you all one step closer in doing so. As you all, I'm sure, are aware, um, the defendant in this case this morning was sentenced to um, three consecutive life sentences, uh, plus a 48-year sentence for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy as it relates to uh, Nico Watts. He was also sentenced to 12 years on each of the three Class three felonies for um, unlawful tampering with a deceased body, um, those being um, Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. All of those counts ran consecutively for a total of three consecutive life sentences. Plus Since even before Chris Watts was behind bars for the murder of his two daughters, wife, and unborn child Nico, there's been a lot of information released to the public. The police body cam footage, interrogation, phone calls, and televised interviews with pretty much anybody who knew the family. And those who have claimed to. Some have decided to remain silent on the subject and allow the passage of time to chip away at the horrible memories and look to the future in hopes of putting it all behind them and forgetting about the terrible events that took place, leaving a permanent scar in the wrinkles of time. Others have remained in the public eye, dredging up painful memories and keeping the painful saga alive. At least that's what I thought at first, but maybe it just hasn't come to a conclusion. It's been over two years since Chris Watts murdered his entire family in a senseless act of violence, only to confess shortly after. Yet, we are no closer to learning the truth behind what really happened. We've been given admissions, and then been told something different, all from a man whose integrity and moral compass is non-existent. It's a crime without an established crime scene, murders without an established motive. Too many questions remain. Chris Watts' comments made to agents during the February 18, 2019 interview at Dodge Correctional Institution is the closest thing we have to an established timeline and confession, at least for now. So what really happened? In this final episode of the first season of The Watts Tapes, we will hear from Chris Watts in extended interviews and listen to portions of the court hearings. Also, we will listen to newly released phone calls between Chris Watts and his parents from prison. And to be honest... 
As I listened to some of the audio, I couldn't help but feel sick to my stomach. In the last episode, we left off just as Chris Watts was being arrested, following his confession to agents on August 15th, 2018. The following audio clip is Weld County District Attorney Michael Rourke's remarks during Chris Watts' sentencing hearing. It's a 13-minute long, impactful statement, one that I couldn't find a single spot to cut, so I've included it in its entirety. Your Honor, there are no words to adequately describe the unimaginable tragedy that brings us before this court today. By my comments, I'm not even going to try to express the horror, the pain, or the suffering that the defendant has caused to these families, to this community, and to all who are a part of this investigation. However, I do want to spend a few minutes sharing with the court the details of the crime, as so far you've only had an opportunity to review the affidavit and a few facts here and there that have been offered to the court in the motions and pleadings that have been filed. The questions that have screamed out to anyone who will listen since August 13th of 2018 are why and how. Why did this have to happen? How could a seemingly normal husband and father annihilate his entire family? For what? These are the questions that only one individual in this courtroom or on this planet knows the answers to. I fully expect we will not receive the answers to these questions today, nor will we at any point in the future. I don't expect that he will ever tell the truth about what truly happened or why. Even if he did, there is no rational way that any human being could find those answers acceptable responses to such horrific questions. The best we can do is try to piece together some kind of understanding from the evidence that is available to us. And the evidence tells us this. The defendant coldly and deliberately ended four lives. Not in a fit of rage, not by way of accident, but in a calculated and sickening manner. Shanann was 34 years old. She had married the defendant in November of 2012. Over the weekend leading up to August 13th, she had been at a work conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and re uh, returned home in the early morning hours of August 13th. We know that she got home about 1.45 in the morning. The doorbell camera on their home shows her arriving back home uh, from the airport. Shortly thereafter, at least according to the defendant, they had a, what he referred to as an emotional conversation about the state of their marriage and about what their lives would look like going forward. What was said during that emotional conversation, only he knows. What we do know is that shortly after that, the defendant strangled her to death with his own hands. We know that he slowly took her life the morning of August 13th. We know that this was not done in an uncontrolled, vengeful manner that he tried to describe to agents from CBI and the FBI. If that were the case, you would expect to see vicious, horrible bruising about her neck, shoulders, and face. You would expect to see the hyoid bone in her neck broken. You would expect to see some kind of defensive wounds on his body as she struggled and fought for her own life. None of those are present. The only injuries that were on Shanann's body were one set of finger uh, or bruising, what appeared to be fingernail or finger mark bruising to the right side of her neck. We know that our experts will tell us that it takes two to four minutes to strangle someone to death manually with their own hands. 
The horror that she felt as the man that she loved wrapped his hands around her throat and choked the life out of her must have been unimaginable. Even worse, what must Bella, age four, and Celeste, age three, must have experienced or thought as their father, the one man on this planet who was supposed to nurture and protect them, was snuffing out their lives. They both died from smothering. Let me say that again. The man seated to my right smothered his daughters. Why? Imagine the horror in Bella's mind as her father took her last, last breaths away. Your Honor, understand very clearly, Bella fought back for her life. The frenulum, the connective tissue between her upper lip and her gum had an inch and a half, excuse me, a centimeter and a half laceration. She bit her tongue multiple times before she died. She fought back for her life as her father smothered her. Celeste had no such injuries. In fact, she had no external injuries at all. But according to the medical examiner, she was smothered nonetheless. The defendant then methodically and calmly loaded their bodies into his work truck, not in a hasty, hasty or disorganized way. He was seen from the neighbor's doorbell camera, backing his truck into the driveway, going back and forth into the house and back out to the truck three different times, one time for each of their bodies. He then drove them away from their family home one final time, intent on hiding any evidence of the crimes that he had just committed. In one final sign of callousness for his wife, his daughters, and their unborn son, and their remains, he drove them to a location that he thought no one would ever find them, to one of the oil tank batteries with which he was so familiar. He knew this was safe. He had texted a co-worker the night before saying, I'll head out to that site. I'll take care of it. He had carefully ensured that he would be alone in the middle of the plains to secrete away the remains of his family in a place that he hoped they would never be found. In one final measure of disrespect for the family he once had, he ensured that they would not be together even in death, or he, so he thought. He disposed of them in different locations. He buried Shanann and Nico in a shallow grave away from the oil tanks. Bella and Celeste were thrown away in the oil tanks at this facility. Different tanks so these little girls wouldn't be together in death. Imagine this, Your Honor. This defendant took those little girls and put them through a hatch at the top of an oil tank eight inches in diameter. Bella had scratches on her left buttocks from being shoved through this hole. A tuft of blonde hair was found on the edge of one of these hatches. The defendant told investigators that Bella's tank seemed emptier than CeCe's because of the sound that the splashes made. These were his daughters. Significantly, when his co-workers arrived at the tank battery later that morning, to a person, they all described him as acting completely normally. It was a normal work day. 
even while his daughter sank in the oil and water not far away from him. And then his efforts at deception truly began. We've all seen the emotionless interviews that the defendant gives to the local media asking for help in locating his family. We watched as he claimed that the house was empty without them and that he hoped that they were somewhere safe and that he just wanted them to come home. He told investigators that they were at home sleeping when he left for work that morning and that Shanann had told him that he was, she was taking the girls to a friend's house for the day. What is striking about this case, Your Honor, beyond the horrors that I've already described to you, is the number of collateral victims that he created by his actions. While he stood in front of TV cameras asking for the safe return of his family, scores of law enforcement officers, neighbors, friends and family scoured the area, fretted for their safe return. They texted him begging for any information and sending him their best wishes, all the while he hid what he had done. The list of indirect victims does not end there. Think of the firefighters and the Colorado State Patrol hazmat experts who had to don protective suits and who were called upon to pull Bella and Celeste out of those oil tanks. Or the coroner employees who had to conduct these autopsies. Or the victim assistants who frantically attempted to ease the suffering of those affected. All of this, Your Honor, for what? Why? Why did this have to happen? His motive was simple, Your Honor. He had a desire for a fresh start. To begin a relationship with a new love that overpowered all decency and feelings for his wife, his daughters, and unborn son. While Shanann texted the defendant over and over again in the days and weeks leading up to her death, attempting to save her marriage, the defendant secreted pictures of his girlfriend into his phone and searched and texted, excuse me, texted her at all hours of the night. While Shanann sent the defendant self-help and relationship counseling books, one of which, ironically enough, was thrown in the garbage, he was searching the internet for secluded vacation spots to take his new love in researching jewelry. And while Shanann took the girls to visit family in North Carolina, the defendant went to car museums in the sand dunes with his new girlfriend. The stark contrast between the subjects of their internet and text content is absolutely stunning. Even the morning after he killed them and disposed of their bodies, he made several phone calls. One was to the school where the girls were supposed to start, telling the school that he would, that the girls would not be coming to school anymore, that they were being unenrolled, presumably to give him some more time before law, enf law enforcement notification about them going missing. He contacted a realtor to start discussing the selling of his house, and he texted with his girlfriend about their future. None of this answers the questions of why, however. If he was this happy and wanted a new start, get a divorce. You don't annihilate your family and throw them away like garbage. Why did Nico, Celeste, Bella, and Shanann have to lose their lives in order for him to get what he wanted. Your Honor, justice demands the maximum sentence under the agreement reached by the parties. As you will recall, the agreement calls for life sentences as to Shanann, Bella, and Celeste, and all of those to run consecutively to one another. It also calls for the count of unlawful termination of a pregnancy as to Nico to run consecutively to counts one, two, and three.
I would suggest that the extreme aggravation present in the defendant's conduct and in his, uh, the efforts that I have described mandate that the sentences for counts 7, 8, and 9, the tampering with a deceased human body, each be the maximum of 12 years and that those sentences run consecutively to one another. It is very clear that each of these acts, excuse me, that these were not the subject of one act, but each oil tank that he walked up with his daughter's bodies and the hole that he dug for his wife and unborn son mandate a mandatory consecutive sentence. It's been alluded to this morning, but the defendant was certainly eligible for the death penalty in this case under the existing law in the state of Colorado. As you heard, Shanann's family strongly opposed my office seeking the death penalty and being bound to the criminal justice system for the next several decades. That's in large part, as you've heard, why we have reached the agreement that we have. Four lives were lost at the hands of the defendant on August 13th for reasons that we will never fully understand, nor will we know. In the end, the Rusick family was much more merciful towards him than he was towards his wife, his daughters, and his unborn son. Prison for the remainder of his life is exactly where he belongs for murdering his entire family. Thank you. Are you seeking 91 days to file a request for arrest? Hey guys, I'd like to take a minute to talk to all of you fellow podcasters out there about Podcorn. And even though this is a paid sponsorship, I tell you about them even if it wasn't. Making a podcast can be hard, and when you finally do make one, monetizing that podcast can be even harder. Well, that's what I thought too. And then I found Podcorn. Podcorn is basically a marketplace, connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. And the best part is that with Podcorn, there's no middleman, and anybody, no matter what size your audience is, can browse, choose an opportunity, set your own rate, and start making money. You won't need to give away the rights to your podcast, and the team at Podcorn is pretty incredible. Just reach out to them, and they're happy to help you with anything. Believe me, I know this from personal experience. Just click the link in my show notes and see for yourself how Podcorn can help your podcast, too. An inmate at Well County Jail. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. If you would like to thank you for using Securus, you may start the conversation now. Hey, Chris, what's up? What's up? I guess mom's about her. Her Kevin told me. Okay. Uh, the, still, are you? I'm okay. You still, you still, you still at the same place? Yeah. Okay. That was Chris Watt's parents, Ronnie and Cindy, speaking with Chris after his arrest for the murder of his wife, unborn child, and their two granddaughters. Okay. That's good. Hi. Can you check it off? Hey. Hey. What you doing? How you doing? I'm okay. Are you really? Yeah, I'm okay. Where are you? I'm still in the same place. Yeah, I'm okay. 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 Oh, darling. I did not know you didn't receive our letter till a few days ago. Uh, 
I think uh, there's really a lot of bad stuff that Frankie and Sandy and everyone has said about us. I don't know what they're going to say. Frankie's been saying uh, uh, things on his Facebook that we've just only begun, you know, and I don't know what that means. And Janie's been getting threatening uh, emails and and uh, phone calls. And these, I mean, these people are crazy. Considering the circumstances, I found this conversation to be a little unsettling, and those being chilling words from somebody whose son has just been arrested for the murder of his entire family. In the days and weeks after Chris Watts' arrest, police interviewed plenty of people who knew Chris Watts. Some were old friends, and some were new acquaintances, and some are what seemed like phantoms coming out of the darkness to claim what they thought was their 15 minutes of fame. The best example of this is Trent Bolt. Trent claimed to have met Chris on the Message Me app and was invited to his home for a sexual encounter. And according to Trent, after the encounter, he was introduced to his daughters. Chris telling him first, If you turn out not to be a psycho, maybe you can meet them. According to Trent, the relationship between him and Chris lasted around 10 months but came to an abrupt end. Trent's mother, Colleen, also confirmed in a separate interview with an agent from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation that her son and Watts spent a lot of time together at a remote cabin in Wyoming. She even claimed that Chris Watts paid for her son's lip injections. When Chris Watts was pressed on the issue by agents during his 2019 interview, he made it clear that it was all just a lie. But, can we really believe anything he says? Um, A lot of interest, and then us personally as law enforcement... We got so many people who claim to have known you, claim to have been with you, dated you, slept with you, and 99 times out of 100, they were just crazy people, right? Um, And so maybe that's a good place to start. Um, Had you heard about any of that? Uh, John, well, she told me about uh, one, some dude from Wyoming. (laughs) Trent? Yeah, that that guy, that that, that blew my mind. I was like, and who told you about that? Attorney John Walsh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, do you mind if we talk, talk about him? Yes. <laughs> Graham and I interviewed him. <laughs> you had to? Yes. A waste yeah. of our lives. Yes. So, Trent, in summary, Trent came in and said, um, met you online on a dating app, um, had a few, you know, uh, casual but quick sexual encounters with you. Um, and, and let me be very clear. Not only are we not here to jam you up today, we're also not here to judge you. Um, and if there is anything like that, you can imagine we've heard way worse, way different, way, you know. So um, if it's true, I hope that you can just casually say, yeah, I mean, this happened. It wasn't as bad as he said, but maybe this happened. So his story was um, met online, met you, and it was a time when you were uh, experimenting with maybe with men. And so he said, met a couple times, met his friends, went to an apartment, uh, had a couple of meetings in a parking lot, and that was basically it. Any of that sound familiar? Okay. No, I've never met Okay. All right. Yeah, he talked about being in a your truck with your girls, like the whole nine yards, so. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've never been to Wyoming, let alone okay. driven out there to see somebody. Yeah. Um, and so this is maybe a weird question for you. It, it, uh, do you have any uh, gay experience? No. Okay. Any interest? No. Okay. 
never had a time, experimented, wondered? No. Okay. Is it possible that he found you instead of you finding him? Uh, from what John told me, just found me on like a WhatsApp. Yeah. I don't even have that app. Okay. Never got me. He had my phone, so okay. you probably yeah, you could probably saw what app I had. But I've never even heard of the app. But okay. Apparently, like he told me, like uh, I met him through like a rehab center or something. Is that what he said? No, but, that was another guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 It was. It was totally. I. No, so did you see a picture of him on the news or anything? Um, John showed me a picture of him. Okay. He was like, well, this guy? I'm like, he was, John was kind of, you know, making fun. Like, do you know him? Sure. I'm like, no. So you saw it and you were like, no way. Yeah, Big like, lips. Did you see the mm-hmm. his giant lips? Yeah, I was just like, I have no clue what this guy is. And he's somewhat memorable. I mean, yeah. If you met him or talked to him or got to know him, you might remember. Um, he's, he's, he was kind of meek. Yeah. But also a little bit um, flamboyant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, he did fake lips, or not fake lips, but injections. Uh-huh. He was very into skincare and makeup. Um, and he mentioned that one of the times, just as a gift, you got him some skincare products. Mm-hmm. Does that, any of that sound familiar? No. Okay. You can imagine all the stuff we're dealing with. Okay, so that's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trent Bowles. <laughs> there was another gal that you were dealing with. Amanda McMahon. Have you ever heard that name? Another one of these phantoms was Amanda McMahon, who came forward to share her story shortly after Watts' arrest. Amanda McMahon met Watts on the dating site Tinder last March, five months before he strangled his pregnant wife and smothered his two little daughters. He seemed like a genuine guy, you know, I mean, he was funny, he was charming. Watts claimed he was divorced. They started out texting each other. She texted, morning bud, Watts replied, what's new, pretty lady? When can we eat tacos together? That sounds like a plan. This could get out of hand. I like it. After they exchanged a few flirty text messages, Amanda agreed to meet Chris Watts in person for the first time here in this shopping center. They parked somewhere over here, and then Chris bought Amanda a coffee from this Starbucks before they decided to head to her place to watch a movie. That movie was the psychological thriller Shutter Island. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a husband who murders his wife because she killed their children. Where are the kids? Did the movie inspire Watts to falsely claim that he killed his wife Shanann in a rage because she strangled the little girls? Kind of eerie. Yeah, almost like a premonition. Right. That night, Amanda says they had their first sexual encounter. He was very rough, I would say. Very rough. And, um, you know, the best way I can describe it is as he's almost zoned out into a different person. Did he ever choke you or ask to choke you? He did place his um, hand around my neck. Um, and I um, quickly kind of, it freaked me out. It sounded like he was very forceful. He was very forceful. Is that terrifying to you now, knowing that that's how he admitted to killing his wife, choking her, and he had his hands on your neck? Yeah. Oh, you did see a picture of her, too? Yeah, yeah. He had, like... Yeah, that's the same picture. Does that look familiar? That's the same picture you showed me on the okay. MSO. I was looking, I was like, who's that? He's like, oh, you don't know her either? Yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> He said it was like a Chick-fil-A parking lot rendezvous or something. Right. And and that's just not that's what she's claiming. Okay. Um, I only wanted to know one Chick-fil-A in Colorado. That was the one in Broomfield, Highway 7. Okay. That was it. Okay. Um, do you feel comfortable enough today to tell us if there were other people? Yeah, it was just a cold. Okay. These people have come out. For the most part, we've 
not given their stories much credit. They're just crazy people who want attention. Um, and so, but when that does happen, it does make us think, um, you know, there may have been others. And so Nicole was the only one. That was the only one. Was there ever like a one night stand with someone else just out of the blue and one and done? As for Nicole Kessinger, the woman whom Chris Watts had confessed his love for in the days leading up to his family's murder, she's disappeared entirely. But oddly enough, authorities had noted from Kessinger's internet history that she had searched for Amber Frey's net worth following the murders. She could certainly relate to Scott Peterson's girlfriend, as she also dated a man who murdered his pregnant wife. After receiving several threats, public shaming, Nicole Kessinger is now in witness protection and is probably considered one of America's most hated women. I guess she plans to start fresh with a new name, new town, and ultimately a new identity. With a new name and a new address, Chris Watt's girlfriend is presumably hundreds of miles away from Colorado. In the end, this senseless crime has only created more questions than answers. And I'm sure it hasn't yet come to its conclusion. Thanks for listening to The Watts Tapes. This concludes Season 1. If you've enjoyed this series, please feel free to subscribe for future releases and leave a 5-star review. It really does help.